Clements and welcome to the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. This is a podcast that celebrates films with a 90 minute or less runtime and is entirely curated by guests on this podcast. Today, we're joined by fellow podcaster, a fellow podcast maker, a podcast entrepreneur, Kobe Omenaka, co-host of Flix Watcher and the Wire Stripped Podcasts. Hello, Kobe. Hi, guys. Very nice introduction there. I don't know what podcast entrepreneur is, but... Uh... Well, you do. I just you're 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 Mr. Podcasts. You've got two podcasts on the go, a <laughs> very long-running and well-respected Flix Watcher, and the Wire Stripped. In my mind, is still new, but that must be a couple of years old now. Well, season two started last week as we record this, but the, I guess the kind of formulation and how we kind of pull it together has been it's been well over a year. It's not quite two years though. Nice and uh, a nice mix of TV and film, always good. Pop culture. I need to move on to music. I think next. Well, maybe next year. Then you would be a podcast entrepreneur. Only then. So what I find quite interesting is on, on this podcast, our guests are curating our film festival and on Flixwatcher, guests curate the podcast that, yeah. that sort of viewing. I'm, I'm basically, I'm looking for some advice. Sure. How is it handing over the reins to your guest to decide your, your viewing over the, the last few years of doing that Flixwatcher podcast? It's been totally interesting seeing what people choose from the point of view of, you know, a future listener. You kind of want to pick a film that you, A, they've heard of, that they want to watch as a result of listening to your show but the person who chooses the film often they want to pick something that's like oh, this is kind of smart and bringing something to the table that you haven't thought about before so when we've had like people on who are of, of particular notes and they've chosen a film that not many people have seen it's kind of like yay they're on the, sh- on the podcast but could they have chose something a bit more interesting for other people to listen to but nowadays we do try and steer people to like 6.5 and above on imdb to give it at least a bit of a chance of being a good recording, which is one of the main things as a podcast maker, you want to make it an interesting recording. You're a huge film fan. You go to the cinema a lot. What yep. sort of films do you like to watch when you when you can choose a film yourself? I am super eclectic in the film choices. I really have no particular style. I would tend to stay away from horror films. So things like The Nun, not interested in any of the Conjuring stuff I'm not interested in. But then when you have things like Get Out or the guest or the quiet place um that that kind of when when there's an interesting story behind it being a film and it happens to be a horror film i'm super interested in that documentaries i love to bits foreign language films love to bits even though foreign language film isn't a genre it's just in a different language Mm. but i'm happy to watch the big blockbusters but also super super keen on seeing like the small independent films and seeing those kind of things and one thing I love a lot is like seeing like Ryan Coogler directing Fruitvale Station and then going on to Creed and then going on to Black Panther and seeing the progression of people and, and the actors and also the, the production staff and production team is brilliant. We got in touch with you, Kobe, because yeah. big fan of the podcast, big fan of your, your cinema going. We thought Kobe's going to choose an interesting film. How did you approach the, the brief of from all the films out there that are under 90 minutes? How did you, you whittle it down to your choice? I'd been thinking about rewatching this film and I thought when you when you posed the question, I thought, I'm sure this is less than 90 minutes so for me it was quite quite simple but i can imagine for a lot of people it would be quite a tortuous thought process so kobe what film did you settle on i've chosen black dynamite 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 (laughs) (laughs) it's impossible to watch black dynamite and not end up humming that dynamite Black Dynamite is a spoof black exploitation action yep. comedy from 2009, yep. directed by Scott Sanders and developed by Scott Sanders and the star of the film, Michael J. White. Yep. 
after his brother is murdered in the ghetto, Vietnam vet and former CIA agent Black Dynamite sets out on a supercharged one-man mission to clean up the streets and avenge his brother's death. He soon becomes embroiled in a corrupt and far-reaching crime operation involving top politicians, drug dealers and crazed scientists as he battles his way tirelessly from the blood-soaked city streets to the highest corridors of power. Why Black Dynamite, Kobe? Because, man, this film is so much fun. And it's hard It's hard to make a film that is so much fun all the way through. This is a spoof film of which they haven't gone down so well of late. I can't think of a decent spoof film that I've enjoyed. No, you're right. It's one of those... I mean, it was its highest, I think, maybe in the 80s with the Naked Gun films. Yeah, and Airplane before that. Absolutely. But lately we've had the Seth MacFarlane Western and... and yeah, Millie West to Die in the West. And uh, the scary movie franchise had diminishing returns. Yeah, I mean, the first game... I mean, a lot of people hate on the Waynes Brothers, but legitimately scary movie was fantastic mm. they did the spoof of menace to society uh, boys in the hood i can't remember what it's called but it's a great title mm. that was a good film i think the worst offenders are the meet the spartans people hey remember that thing from a film you saw once we put it in this film <laughs> isn't that funny <laughs> not really we've all seen avengers we all know who fucking tony stark and hulk are mm. do you know what i mean it's not it's just not funny they're so throwaway as well. They're made to be watched it that year. Yes. And I don't think they've got the longevity. Whereas with Black Dynamite, it's it's talking about like such a movement of yes. films. And exactly. It's, it's, it's sort of ageless, which is kind of nice. It is. And, and there's Naked Guns and a lot of people like Top Secret. I haven't seen it that much. I mean, Airplane, I can watch that time and time again. Mm. I think that was potentially one of the choices I was thinking of. Oh, wow. I would have would have been for this had Black Dynamite not been under 90 minutes. But those what you can watch them again and again. And that's, that's, that's a good thing about a film generally. But a spoof, I think, has to stand under its own merits outside of you know the six months before and after it came out did you see this in the cinema first time around? no i i didn't know it existed until one podcast i listened to quite a lot which i don't listen to now because the the host has fallen a bit out of favor uh, i think i think i know the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> him and his friends were talking about it and it's like i've never heard of this film and it talked about it a few more times and I think it's one of the things because it is a spoof film. If you'd seen a poster, you would have thought, nah, not, not now. I can't be bothered. But because him and then a few other people I respect as film reviewers said it was a good film, mm. I bit the bullet and watched it. And from the start, it was great. From the start, it's amazing. And it continues at a good pace all the way through. The reason I chose it for this is because I don't think still enough people have seen it. Mm. And it's just literally one of the best films of the past 10 years. Best comedy films. Certainly, it probably is the best spoof parody film I can think of that's uh, over the past 10 years. More people need to watch it because I need to be able to scream dynamite and have people join in on the tube. <laughs> it really reminds me of the the TV show Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Oh, really? Um, I don't know if you saw that, but that was, um, it was sort of made in the style of the shows it's parodying. Like, yep. this is shot on 16mm film. Yep. They use vintage film lenses in this, in Black Dynamite, and they do all of the, the maybe less good things around <laughs> the edges, the jump cuts, the, yeah. the sorry, shoddy camera work, the, the very shoddy acting, but on purposely shoddy. Yeah. You know, it's, it's quite masterful, really. I've only seen Garth Marenghi once the whole season, and I thought it was great. I haven't seen it again. I perhaps wasn't as film or pop culture literate at the time to understand the references there, but I purely enjoyed the pastiches that they were playing on. Like they had a female doctor in the first episode and Garth Marenghi was like, you're a woman, playing on the on that kind of trope of not many female characters in positions of authority. I thought, yeah, Garth Marenghi was, was great. And it's good to, he had that kind of similar thing here mm. in films, in black exploitation films and films where the lead star is a pimp stroke, some a gangster and female characters don't, aren't portrayed that well but they made a point of like really playing on how badly 
the characters are played are treated in those films and i think that was a great way to do it black exploitation is 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 quite a well-known genre yeah but i i don't think many people have actually seen a lot of the films that are, are in that genre is, is it something that you've you've watched like previously before this film generally not generally i haven't seen i don't think i've ever seen shaft or superfly i might have seen a pam greer film like mm. coffee it's just something i'm not sure in the uk particularly how big they were and maybe now with the advent of netflix and amazon prime they're easy to get hold of but they just simply weren't things that were a on tv much in the uk growing up be available in your local video store so i just never got around to seeing them but for me i think one you had the black exploitation side of things here but also but i am a big fan of kung fu and martial arts films mm. and this film pastiche that's it you know to the hill the um enter the dragons one legitimately one of my favorite films ever made and there's so many callbacks to bruce lee and that kind of film in this so i think it's it's equally a parody of black exploitation and and kung fu martial arts films in in one which augments it for me totally i quite like it when you know the guy who plays he's a vietnam vet yeah. who's a cop and he can do kung fu yeah and he's a black belt and, <laughs> yeah. he's, you know, and it's like sure why not <laughs> One of my favourite scenes, there's so many favourite scenes, and I'll never do it justice, but he's an ex-CIA agent, but then he goes back to his ex-CIA boss and his boss just pulls out from his drawer. Here's your license to kill again. Gives him his CIA ID. Underlined is like license to kill. You've got your license to kill back. It's just nonsense, but great. There's a lot of little, some really fun exchanges like that in the film. And I think you're right. You don't need to know the the films. It's parodying necessarily. You just need mm. to be aware that this type of film was made. Yes. And it is a it was a phenomenon. And I think people <laughs> generally, it's like with Tarantino films. You know, like with the Grindhouse movies. People didn't really watch those Grindhouse films yeah. in the UK necessarily, but they're aware that there were these type of exploitation films sure. this shoddy sort of cinema <laughs> the b-list sort of cinema yeah. i think the real super weapon behind this film is michael j white and the fact that he the, the story goes that you know this is a, a film that he had the idea for whilst listening to some music whilst on a shoot for another movie and <laughs> he was just like you know this could be fun so he made a trailer himself right uh, before the film was made to raise the funds and with this 500 dollars trailer they got funding to make a whole feature film based on his idea that's that's great i didn't know that but michael jai white is fantastic in this film and i'm i'm kind of disappointed it's 2009 I haven't really seen him do much mm. since then but he's Funny in this film, he does the bad acting amazingly well. And his martial arts are fantastic, legitimately really good martial arts. I was well, a former martial artist myself as well. So I'm, I'm watching it with like intention and, and knowing what's what's good and bad. I read up that he's, he's got black belt or very high up in seven different martial arts. And the moves he does are fantastic. But also in terms of like, he does the acting badly, but he also does the martial arts like in a goofy way as well. Yeah. properly sending up all these different moves and stuff like that so for me it's just like it just works on so many different levels he you know he came with the story he got the funding and this went to sundance i think yeah, 20, world premiere in sundance. yeah 2008 2009 and then had a bidding war as a result of it so it's great to know that 500 dollar trailer then emerged into like a, a seven million dollar distribution deal it's funny isn't it it's that um it's that really romantic idea of you know taking your your passion project to yeah. a festival it had been really well received yeah it having that that famous bidding war with the distributors <laughs> and and yeah and then actually distributors not knowing what to do with it and you're right i think it is a bit underseen i think i first discovered this film on streaming sure and i completely missed it in the cinema and i'm in a cinema obsessive <laughs> like where was i in 2009 why didn't i see this on the big screen i don't know what release it would have gotten in the uk i'm sure it would have got a very minuscule one so it probably takes the the Curzon and the Pitch House type chains to give it some kind of uh, mm. visibility. I really do like the kind of Sundance phenomenon where 
the people, you know, with the heart and the sleeves make a film and they go there and hopefully it gets to the bidding war. And also 2009, Netflix was in a different format and had this been, had the bidding war then, I'm sure Netflix would have been in the mix to, to buy it and it would have probably got a bigger release then. Mm. It did come to Netflix, but it just kind of, it was just one of those things that suddenly there's a trailer on there. By the way, we've got Black Dynamite now. Yeah. Watch it if you want. You're right though about Michael J. White. Like he is, why hasn't it, this was made in 2009. Yeah. Why isn't he a marquee name? Why isn't he leading more films? Because after this, at the same time, he had a very small role in Dark Knight. Yeah. Prior to that, he was the lead in Spawn. I'd say I've never seen Spawn. I saw that. I was looking, doing my research for this. Was it a good film, Spawn? Or no, was it was terrible. Okay, good. But he was the lead in it. So <laughs> sure. his, his, prior to that, he worked with Jean Claude Van Damme. He trained with Jean Claude Van Damme. And mm. he was in a lot of those like, straight to DVD action movies, just doing pure martial arts. Sure. And then he moved into acting, became a leading man, probably thought he, you know, quits in with Spawn, yeah. lead in a superhero movie, sadly, probably about 15 years too soon. And <laughs> uh, and it was a shoddy film. Uh, that, that was my first, because like, I, I loved the Spawn comics and I had Spawn toys. Okay. And when the film came out, I was like, yeah, they're making a film of Spawn. And it was before I really knew what a bad film was. Sure. So I was just happy to see that, you know, the sound and the colours. I didn't really think about him at all until this film came out and I was like, oh yeah, like he was the lead in Spawn. Sure. In my eyes, that was a huge film in the 90s, maybe not in, <laughs> in anybody else's. But I feel like after showing off his talent in this film where he's behind the camera, he's in front of the camera, he's on, on camera, he's doing comedy, yeah. he's doing action. Why isn't he a lead in a film now? It's a waste. It's, it's an absolute waste. Not just as a black actor, but uh, uh, Ryan Coogler's did amazing. I would have thought maybe put him in Black Panther because that was a, a, you know, a great opportunity for mm. someone with his kind of talents. That would have been great to have him in there. But just other films generally, I think he would augment a lot of action films, mm -hmm. a lot of films where you need that kind of big presence. And hey, you know why? Why not do a few more comedies with people? I'm sure. I'm sure Adam McKay could use him in even like, if it was like the Big Short or the next Anchorman type film. I'm sure yeah. Adam McKay can make use of someone like Michael J. White. Uh, it's like if you're films. doing action, like a lot of feature uh, comedies are usually like a hybrid genre. Yeah. So if you're doing an action comedy. He's your guy. Yeah, exactly. Like he's, he can do everything. <laughs> but I, I, I think he's currently on TV. He's in Arrow, the DC Arrow uh, okay. show. I don't know if he's a big part in that. He seems to have been in a lot of episodes. And he has been working on a sort of follow-up to Black Dynamite. I just feel like this film is a showcase. And if I yeah. was a talent agent, I'd be like, get him in my movie. Hopefully he's a cool guy to work with. Mm. I mean, before we started recording, we were talking about people like Tom Cruise, who effortlessly gets cast in films and films again. And a, a huge part of that is that, as you were saying, when Pitch House Central opened, mm. he went and shook the hands of every single member of staff in the, in the cinema. No need for him to do that whatsoever. No, no, no. But you have people who are notoriously like hard to work with, and you have people who are absolute pleasure to work with, like Tom Cruise. So I'm, I'm hoping Michael J. White is a pleasure to work with. Maybe he's not. Maybe that's the reason <laughs> why he hasn't progressed. But based on what we've seen on screen and what his production capabilities are, I think... I want to see him and more things. Doing research for the show, he sounds like a really cool guy. Yeah. He used to do movie nights showing black exploitation films. Yeah. And the fact that he's a film fan as well as an actor yeah. basically makes me fall in love with him. <laughs> you know? What a what a dream. <laughs> so we mentioned earlier about the fighting in this film. Sure. I think that's that can be a really great source of comedy. And one of my favorite moments in this film is Towards the end of the film, Richard Nixon is obviously involved in the dastardly plot. Mike, when you're talking about Vietnam, you can ignore, obviously, Kennedy was involved in Vietnam and all those pediatesters. Anyone doing a film that mentions Vietnam in bad light has to focus on Richard Nixon. So mm. it was not a surprise at all that he's the big bad. And when he pulls out the nunchucks... Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs>
Richard Nixon with nunchucks. And he's good. Yeah, he's really he good. He knows how to use the nunchucks. Richard, and I can imagine it. I can imagine Richard Nixon in the in the, in the the Oval Office, just say, yeah, guys, empty the room. I just want to practice my nunchucks for a couple of hours. I, I totally believe that happened. <laughs> <laughs> Who the hell has interrupted my Kung Fu? Who the hell is this? Black Dynamite? It's your Aunt Billy. Now, Billy, how many times I told you not to call here and interrupt my Kung Fu? What, what bits of the film stand up for you? Are there any sort of highlights uh, that you look forward to when you were doing your rewatch? This film is packed with them, and I know it wouldn't do them justice. One of the early ones, well, first of all, Baron Vaughan his, plays his brother, Jimmy. The start of the film starts off, one of the best starts ever. You've got three pimps, gangsters, you don't know what they, who they are. There's a shadowy figure in the car and it says, hey guys, we're going to make a lot of money together, apart from the fact that one of you is a mole. Baron Vaughan, who is best known for playing a lead character in Grace and Frankie on Netflix, plays a guy called Jimmy. And the character, the focus on him becomes like a super hammy, like jive talking. Hey, you suckers, I'm the real deal. Hey guys. And the instantly casts him out as a bad guy and all, all of the uh, hoods like shoot him down. Again, not doing it justice, but it just starts on such a great note and continues on. In terms of like the fighting scene, one, fi one scene I was really looking forward to watching was when he's training with the guys in his own house. I don't know where it was, or dojo. And it's just Michael J. White who's topless and he's ripped to bits and he's fighting like between five and ten people. And that fight scene is just one of the best things I've ever seen. It's just jump cutting around, him moving around the scene in impossible ways. And then the phone rings just about the time he's about to smash through three bricks. And he goes, who's interrupted my Kung Fu? That line for me just has been, I, that's one of the lines I think about. And of course it's his auntie. And one thing I should say is, I think he's christened Black Dynamite. It's not an alias. Yes. As a kid, he's called Black Dynamite. His mum refers to him in flashback as Black Dynamite. His auntie calls him Black Dynamite. Richard Nixon knows him as Black. He hasn't got, he has, he's not called John Smith. No. He, this guy is called Black Dynamite. That's what he's christened. His parents thought about what he's going to be called. And that all the way through the film is immense. I love the flashback scenes in this film. Yeah. Flashback to him as a kid being called Black Dynamite. Yeah. And it's something that will always make me laugh if there's a flashback in the film and the actors they cast look exactly like them as grown-ups. Yeah. I think the costumes are even the same as his costume and he's a grown-up. So it's such a silly, but it's just beautiful. Love that. There's two other standout parts of the film. One's when he's with the other pimps, where he comes in and there's the pimp meeting and you see our senior hall and he had that pimp thing he's called Chocolate Giddyup. And... <laughs> Well, the names are, are immense throughout the whole film. But Chocolate Giddy Up and Black Dynamite comes in and says, guys, I'm avenging anyone who's selling drugs in the community. And this guy goes, but Black Dynamite, I sell drugs in the community, which is just nonsense and brilliant. And that whole kind of setup when they're meeting together is great. And then there's another setup in the restaurant where they, they all unpick the conspiracy, mm. starting out with Black Dynamite realizing that it, somehow it focuses on M&Ms. Yes. And then it's like, M&M's, made by who? The Mars Corporation. And who is Mars? He's a Roman god of war. Now, who's the Greek equivalent? Ares! And this whole kind of unpicking of the conspiracy is like literally one of the best things I've seen in any film whatsoever. Everyone joins in, everyone picks it, adds their contributions. These And these are like Black Panthers, these are pimps, these are people who have no business knowing when Greek astronomy was founded. But it all comes together to unravel this ridiculous conspiracy. It's just beautiful well that feels like it's taken a bit out of the naked gun and airplane book isn't it yeah. you know like 
the character is an average sort of guy, but he has immense knowledge about this one subject. <laughs> and and uh, you're right, the delivery in that scene is beautiful as well. The, just the really quick back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. And like again, that's uh, all of the actors in here are great comic performers. Yeah. But like, I think again, Michael J. White really holds court in that, and he can bounce between all these people, <laughs> uh, and it's it's so good. To what do we owe this pleasure? I just got one thing to lay on you, cats, and then I'll split. That I am declaring war on anybody who sells drugs in our community. But Black Dynamite, I sell drugs in the community. The star of the show for me, I think, is the, the, the sort of form of this film. Mm -hmm. Like we talked about how it was shot on original, you know, sixteen millimeter film, like these black exploitation films. But the editing and how the actors are aware that they're in a Edit sort film. of a shoddy film as well. Like when they move too quick for the camera and they bump into a boom <laughs> mic, that's the stuff that still makes me laugh and laugh and laugh. Just thinking about it, the first time you see that and it sort of breaks the fourth wall, he's just puts the phone down real quick and he stands up. <laughs> he walks into the boom mic and the boom mic then slowly moves out of shot. Like got it. That's the tone of the film. Yeah. It's quite hard, I think, because you, you're basically making two films when you're doing that. You're making the film the actors are acting in, and you're also making the film the characters are in. Yeah. And uh, like, again, the, behind the camera, they must have such a good crew to, to juggle to that, that balance. There's one prime example of that where they're fighting in the pool hall, and then he slaps the uh, actor, and the actor breaks character. He's like, mother... And then it jump cuts to a different actor to finish off the fight. So it's like... We're supposed to expect that a big fight happened and an actor walked off stage and they jump they couldn't be bothered to refilm the whole scene again. And it's just put together so beautifully. So it's, yeah, it's things like that we're talking about. They have the film that they're making, but they also have the film that the characters have to be aware of around around that. And they can't not allowed to break yeah, like when the boom mic comes into shot, you see Michael J. White looking up at it, yeah. but still talking at the same time. Absolutely brilliant stuff. Well, Michael J. White made up a backstory for the actor that he's playing, who's right. playing Black Dynamite. So he's a former quarterback from a football team who had an injury and he's gone into acting. And I love that sort of the process. So you're it's like you're you're Michael J. White, you're going into this film playing a guy who was a quarterback, who's now an actor, who's playing Black Dynamite in this film. And you see that in his performance. It's yeah, like totally. he's playing two characters. It's like he's trying to be what O.J. Simpson was, mm. in a way, or The Rock nowadays, I guess. Yeah. yeah, well, that's a great way to think about it. I could, yeah, totally, you can totally see that in how it's portrayed and how the film goes forward. One of the stars of this film, the whole film, is the music. Mm. And we've, I think we've, we've maybe alluded to that a bit already. <laughs> what did you make of the soundtrack to this movie? I'm sure it's completely faithful to the exploitation side of things. But that kind of dynamite ident, which pops in, in and out every now and again at the most convenient points. Like There's a flashback to when he's in the orphanage and... I think people mock him and then suddenly he goes to an exterior scene and then suddenly hear dynamite as three orphans are being thrown out of the window. Uh, just instantly augment how the film works. Mm. And then you've also got some kind of soundtracks like when he goes into his brother Jimmy's apartment and he's like, go into Jimmy's apartment. <laughs> Probably some people there. We don't know yet. The kind of soundtrack really lifts the film in a fantastic way. Uh, and then you have the kind of wah-wah guitar. Mm. It all really has been thoroughly thought of all the way through the, the production, I think. In a 84-minute long film, like there's a lot of music in yeah. this. But it all it punctuates jokes and it helps you helps ease along the film and yeah. the transitions. And yeah, yeah, I forgot about the, the songs that set up certain <laughs> locations. It's really efficient, really. It then is. you don't have to have characters saying that stuff. <laughs> the guy who did the soundtrack for this, he did this quite early in his career, Adrian Young. Right. And he... he 
played all the instruments and did all the voices for a large portion of the soundtrack. Has he gone on to do better things? He's now working on the Luke Cage TV show on Netflix. Oh, that, okay, that's cool. Which must be quite a big gig, really. Michael J. White should be in, in Luke Cage. Well, he, he's gotten in. I was like, His well, buddy's exactly. doing the music. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess if he's in the DC TV universe, maybe he's not allowed to go into their Marvel. That's true. The contra- contracts are probably a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> but they like the film was shot using these original cameras and lenses. The, mm. the soundtrack was recorded on analog tape and original microphones and just the level of attention yes. in this indie film like you can tell it must the idea must have really struck a chord with the people working on it to go out of their way and make their jobs harder <laughs> to get this authentic <laughs> sound authentic camera look one of the things we ask about on flix watcher is this film good on you know on a home viewing platform mm. we call it our small screen score this is kind of a perfect thing because black dynamite i've only i've only ever seen it on a small screen and it's been great mm. but i want when the 90 minute film festival has its big event i want this to be like on this on the big screen because it's like you're saying it doesn't there's no there's no real special effects that need to be on a big screen per se but the communal experience i think with this would be fantastic plus there are so many so many details in the in the set and in each image and each each scene that would help immensely and also the soundtrack as well i think would it would be fantastic on a big screen even though I think it works great on a, on a smaller screen. Whenever this curation goes out, guys, I hope to be there. And, I'll, you know, I'll introduce it. Absolutely. Michael J. not available. Well, it's an important, you know, because we, we do, we're going to bring all these films to the film festival mm-hmm. and we want to see the screen them in a packed auditorium yeah. with an audience who are really up for it. But how would you make that event even more special, even more special than seeing Black Dynamite on the big screen for <laughs> maybe the first time for a lot of people? You know, you've, you've got carte blanche to do whatever you, want, whatever you want to to heighten this screening. I think Michael J. White would have to be there and maybe do some kind of kung fu demo with, with, with the guys there. And it wouldn't have to be... I think if it was, it would be best if people didn't know it was going to happen. So maybe in, in the foyer or the lobby of the cinema, there's suddenly this martial arts demo that people didn't know about that happened before the screening, that kind of thing. So like a fight breakout in the restaurant beforehand, and it's all been choreographed, and people wow. are flying through the air like a bar fight type thing, and he's there with his, you know his ridiculous phrases and and bad acting and throwing the adversaries like 50 meters across the room. I, I'm just thinking about all these different things, all these different best bits of the films of the film that when he kicked the grandmother across the room (laughs) (laughs) i like it so your pitch is we're gonna get to the cinema early yeah you're gonna have a like a a faux intro maybe and then the real black dynamite michael jai white and character yeah (laughs) and he starts tearing the venue up (laughs) yes exactly he has a fight with someone who's selling you know maybe tries to sell drugs to a youngster and he's like no i'm not gonna have that in my cinema and he threw yeah that that kind of that kind of sets up i like that You've gone full secret cinema on this. Uh, yeah, uh, absolutely. Which means I think I'm going to charge £50 a ticket for yeah. this event now. And I think I might also need to take out additional insurance oh, on the say, uh, furniture. Yeah. <laughs> the heightened admission charges for yeah extra insurance and reality inclusion. Sold easy. I mean, there's a part of me that thinks this will be a great event. And there's a part of me that thinks this is going to be a nightmare. But I think it's worth it. Make sure all the glass is sugar glass. Yes. And all the furniture is the breakable stuff before. And you don't want to get people getting too carried away and smashing real chairs and glass into people's faces. <laughs> no, no, that's true. That again, is I'm just uh, from the organizational point of view, a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> this film is 84 minutes. It's yeah. a beautiful runtime. Yes. Do you think this film could or should be longer? No, I don't know how long the scary movie films, the worst of the scary movie films, are. Generally, in, as a as a carte blanche, 
I don't think comedies should be more than 90 minutes. If this is one minute longer, it, it would be a worse film. So definitely not any longer. And I understand there's lots of cutscenes, and I'm glad they've had the kind of wherewithal to not include them into the film and realise that this is the the final piece, is the 84-minute uh, masterclass. So, Kobe, Black Dynamite is in the 90 minutes of this film first. Fantastic. Thank you very much for you. your suggestion. <laughs> So thank you, Kobe, for joining us for the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. Where can people hear more of your voice? So you can hear more of my voice, should you want to, at Flixwatcher Podcast. Type in Flixwatcher, F-L-I-X, Watcher, into Google, and you'll find us there. With my co-host, Helen, where we get podcasters on, such as Sam, who's been on, uh, you, you could tell. What film did you choose with The I Edge? Chose, I chose The Edge, which sadly would not be eligible for the 90 Minutes oh, or Less man. Film Fest, but it is worth seeking out on Netflix if it's still on there. <laughs> uh, and you can also hear me on the wire strips with my co-host dave where we talk about each episode of the hbo show the wire uh, scene by scene very good tv show sadly not eligible for the 90 minutes or less no. film first and thank you listeners for listening to us you can contact us on twitter and instagram at 90 min film fest mm-hmm. the show is produced by louise owen and me sam clements our music was by martin Ostwick. the show was edited by luke smith and artwork is by sam gilby kobe if people want to tweet you where can they do that I am at Cobestar, K-O-B-E-S-T-A-R-R, at FlixWatcherPod on Twitter and also at The Wire Stripped. You'll hear from me or Dave or Helen. Listeners, tweet them all at the same time. Thank yeah, you so much, Kobe. Me. And thank you for listening. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.